Let us all turn our Bibles to uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Book of Hebrews chapter 11. And as we ponder over these life-giving, spirit-inspired words, let us look to the Lord and ask him to speak to us. If we are not eager to learn, we are not taught anything by the Spirit of God. So let us look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day you have chosen for us, the Lord's Day, for your people. And we have come together to hear your word. Every Sunday, we come and practice various activities and ministries. And this is a grand opportunity for us to know you, to know your ways, and to hear you speaking to us through the exposition of your word. So Lord, you give us a reverential heart, submissive, obedient spirit to your word, and may we know that you are speaking to us directly. May we not think this is for our neighbor and not for me. May we individually be teachable and open and submit to the authority of your word. Lord, only your spirit can enlighten, only your spirit can convict only your spirit can transform. I, as your preacher, can only inform your people. So pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in our minds and hearts and for the ruination of the works of the enemy. We pray that your will be done and you be supreme and you rule over us as we hearken your word. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and I would like to again remind you of the background. We have journeyed through 10 chapters and finally landed in chapter 11 and I would like to go in detail through this chapter because we will be covering much of the Old Testament as we ponder over these words. Why is the author of Hebrews writing about faith in chapter 11? Because the recipient says faith was in crisis. And I told you in the past that because of uh, the threat of persecution that they were facing, because of their faith in the Messiah, Lord Jesus, they faced vehement opposition by their neighbors, the Jewish neighbors, because of whom they were really tempted to draw back to Judaism. And the author is provocating their faith in order not to turn back, but to fix their eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who is supreme over angels, supreme over the prophets, supreme over Moses, supreme over Joshua, supreme over the prophets of the Old Testament, because he is none other but the Son of God. And as he was provocating their faith, we see that in Hebrews 10, 39, the last words of the previous chapter, this is how he ends. He says here, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We see here there are two kinds of people. There are people who shrink back and they are destroyed because unbelief ruins people destroys people and he speaks about another group of people those who have faith and preserve their souls and the author is about to start about the examples the procession of the heroes of faith in the old testament how they had faith and preserved their souls and also we see in verse one this is what he reminds about what faith is Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then in verse 2, he gives examples about who these people are who exemplify their faith in the Lord Jesus and preserve their souls. In verse 2, he says, For by it, by faith, the people of old, he speaks about the Old Testament people who received their commendation God approved them God appreciated them God bore witness of their trust in him and then he begins with this first 
person of the Old Testament that we have today, Abel. And I would like to talk to you about him, the lessons that we can learn from this man about whom we see briefly mentioned in the Holy Bible. But he is a man who was commended by God because of his faith. The first person the author of Hebrews begins with, we find in verse 4, who these people are of old who received their commendation. He says in verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. We will spend the rest of the time on verse 4 about what the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to us today. What is the author's aim in writing these words? We see that as we read through the book of Hebrews, the author's aim was to persuade his recipients, the readers of this letter, about how the faith of Abel rewarded him. No faith in God will go in vain, although you may not see immediate results. Are you understanding what I'm saying? No faith in God will go in vain, although you may not see immediate results. And he wanted to persuade his readers about this man who was rewarded because of his faith, so that by looking at Abel, these readers of the letter would learn to persevere in their faith until they are rewarded. And I want to persuade you similarly as you listen to this word of God, what the author of Hebrews has written. There are three things that I would like to bring out from these words so that we can learn and benefit and see how we will imitate this man called Abel. The first factor that I would like to encourage you to learn from this word is that faith makes your service meaningful. Faith makes your works meaningful. Faith makes your ministry meaningful. Faith makes your activities meaningful. We see here in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 that the author is making a comparison. How many of us like comparisons? If I say Joshua is better than Joy, is Joy happy about that? Not at all. If I say that Hannah is better than Ratna, will Ratna be happy about that? No, we don't like comparisons, right? Especially when we make comparisons saying that this person is better than the other. But what we need to understand is that biblical comparison is made for imitation, not to demean any person. And we see here there is a comparison here that in verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. There is a comparison. Do you see Abel? He was better in the way he offered sacrifice than Cain. Now, who, is this, who are these people, Abel and Cain? I believe you all know the historical account of Adam and Eve in chapter 1 and 2. God made man and woman, Adam and Eve, in his own image. And then he commissioned them that you are free to eat anything from the Garden of Eden except that forbidden fruit. But man's tendency is always to run after what God forbids. And we see that in chapter 3, the, the, the Eve was deceived by the devil, the crafty serpent, and disobeyed the Lord. And also Adam was plunged into this disobedience. And they both sinned against God and they fell from the life of God and they were driven away from the presence of God because of their sin. And right after the fall of Adam and Eve mentioned in chapter 3, we see in chapter 4 the brief biography of Abel and Cain who were the first children of the first parents, Adam and Eve. 
In Genesis chapter 4, this is what we see, the historical account of Cain and Abel, which is the basis for what Hebrews chapter 4 was written. We see here in chapter 4, now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. You see that here, no matter how much man and woman can come together, ultimately it is the Lord who gives life. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and, a Cain, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of, it, of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but, Cain, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. He was not just angry, he was very, very angry. And his face fell. Not literally his face fell on the ground, which means he was extremely disappointed. The question that comes to us is, why did the Lord regard the sacrifice of Abel and rejected the sacrifice of Cain? The following verse helps us to understand. In Genesis chapter 4 verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, because he was very angry and because he was uh, extremely disappointed, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Shall we all repeat that clause together? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Observe this phrase carefully. Take your eyes and fixing to that bold letters that you see. Those are very important for our comprehension. If you do well, will you not be accepted? When you look at that verse, what do you learn about who God is? What do you learn about the attribute of God? You know that statement reveals... Who God is? He is concerned about people doing well. Not just doing the things that they are doing. We are only concerned about doing activities. We are concerned about doing ministries, services, functions. But God is not concerned just about what you are doing externally. But why are you doing it? How are you doing it? What is your motive of doing those things? activities we see that in this verse that God is a God of holiness don't you see that don't you see that people if you do well will you not be accepted why because I am a God of holiness I am a God of justice I am a God of righteousness I am a God of uprightness I hate sin I hate corruption I hate everything that is contrary to my attributes. Brothers and sisters, let us know who your God is as you seek to serve Him in your Christian life. He is not a cheap God who is only interested in your offerings and sacrifices. We see that in many pagan deities. There is no concept of holiness about their deities. They do all the corruption and evil things and go to their shrines to offer sacrifices and give their offerings and they are happy that God has accepted them. But the God of the Holy Bible, the God of the Christianity is not a corrupt God. He is not a cheap God. He is not a God of low standards. He is a God of holiness. And may we examine our hearts. I'm reminded of what the Lord said to the people of Israel in chapter 1 verse 13. Observe these words carefully, brothers. 
and sisters. Don't let anything distract you, but focus on chapter 1, verse 13. You know what it says? Bring no more vain offerings. Bring no more vain offerings. I am not interested in the offerings that are not coming out of a right heart. Same thing with Cain. He brought offering, but it was in vain. The people of Israel were walking in the footsteps of Cain and they were bringing offerings. And God says that, I am sick of your offerings. Your sacrifices are vain. He says in verse 16, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil. What is he speaking about? He says that I am holy, I am righteous, I am a pride. You don't try to be religious before me without having an obedient heart. Let's come back to the question again. Why did God receive Abel's offering? God rejected Cain's offering because it was not out of a right heart. But why did he receive Cain's offering? We see that there are different kinds of uh, explanations given. Some people go beyond the uh, scriptures and they assume this might be the reason. And uh, we cannot say that it is absolutely wrong. But it is good to rely on the explicit biblical reasons on why God accepted Abel's offering. For example, I go along with what Donald Guthrie says. He is a very good uh, Bible scholar and I agree with his argument. Very few people take these paths. In my study, I have seen that a lot of people take the other path saying that he didn't bring animal, he didn't bring the blood because of which God rejected Cain's uh, sacrifice. But I am not convinced of it because I believe in plain, explicit, biblical reasons. And Donald Guthrie says here that it is often supposed, often, that's true. Many people believe this, that Abel's sacrifice was superior because it was a blood sacrifice, whereas Cain's was not. There was blood in Abel's sacrifice. Cain gave the offering from his farming. But there was no precedent to blood sacrifices. Nowhere God told that you must offer blood sacrifices. And there is no evidence to suggest that God had instructed the brothers about what kind of offerings they should make. We don't see anywhere where God told about blood sacrifice, what kind of sacrifices they should make. The only thing that we see and makes sense is Abel brought animal because he was a shepherd of the sheep. So it was reasonable that he brought sheep to offer as a sacrifice and Cain brought the fruit of the ground because he was a farmer. So it makes sense plainly that whatever they brought was according to their profession. So what is the explicit biblical reason that we see why God accepted Abel's sacrifice? We see in verse 4 of our exposition today. By faith. That's the word that we need to put our eyes into. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his sacrifice. So what we understand from this passage is that the issue was not sacrifices, but faith. Faith was at stake. And I'm glad that the Protestant reformer John Calvin echoes similar understanding. He said that the sacrifice of Abel was more acceptable than that of his brother only because it was sanctified by faith. Where did his pleasing come from other than that he had a heart purified by faith? Now we, may, we might be thinking that just faith. What's the problem with that? Because we take faith lightly and unbelief. What I want to tell you from this passage, brothers and sisters, please don't underestimate lack of faith. Are you understanding? Don't underestimate lack of faith. Every person who lives a defeated Christian life, every person who is enslaved by the power of sin, 
every person who is crippled paralyzed under afflictions every person who becomes a victim of the vehement schemes of the devil i have seen one thing common in all of them lack of faith it is dangerous to have unbelief and that is what we see cain did in his religious activities which led him to envy and the murder of his brother let me tell you one thing that is very important unbelief is the mother of all evils will you all repeat with me unbelief is the mother of all evils once again unbelief is the mother of all beliefs my question to you including me brothers and sisters is what is the condition of our faiths if you are weak in faith do something about it because you have no idea to what evils it may take you you have no idea until you reach the destiny of disaster you have no idea what unbelief can do in your life now the question that comes to us is what could it mean when abel offered sacrifice to god by faith what could it mean we should think right it's not just abel offered sacrifice to god by faith how do i understand as a as a man who is reading this how do i comprehend clearly what could it mean so that i should also examine myself when i do certain activities there are three factors that i would like to tell you in this the first is that his focus was on god a man or a woman of faith is a man and a woman of focus we see that his eyes were on god he was reverent and conscious of what he was doing that it is unto god do you know that godly external activities that we do we can become unconscious of god and be so active as a pastor and a minister i have seen many times how actively i can do ministry where i am not reverentially conscious and focused on god if i as a pastor can face such temptation what about believers it is terribly possible to do many things in life with no focus on god and the second thing that we also see when cain offered sacrifice by faith is that his focus was on god and secondly his goal was to please god he didn't do things just because he should be doing now please remember brothers and sisters it is terribly possible to do things just for the sake of doing do you know that you can pray and read the bible come to church and do other things just for activity's sake with no commitment devotion focus goal on pleasing god god can be forgotten in what he had commanded god can be forgotten in what he had commanded and the third factor that we see when abel offered sacrifice to god by faith is that his confidence was so assured that god would accept his sacrifice that god would reward him for his sacrifice he just he didn't just do it for the sake of doing he knew that god is pleased and god would reward him and that goes exactly in line with hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 the following verse says that and without faith it is impossible to please him able pleased god by faith able focused on god by faith able was confident that god would reward him and god indeed did so hebrews 11:6 shall we all lift up our glorious voices and recite this which is so important to our christian faith let's read together and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to god must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him 
Do you observe the word? Without faith, it is impossible. It doesn't say maybe or almost possible. Impossible. No way you can please God without faith. And he says here that if you come near to God, which is when you pray or when you do Christian activities, you must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Is this the condition of our faith when we draw near to God? Is this the attitude when we seek God? You know, if you observe this phrase carefully, as I was thinking about this, I thought this is an irony. Irony is something, you know, that seems to be a contradictory statement. I see an irony here. You know why? Observe carefully. It says that whoever we draw near to God must believe that he exists. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. The irony is that why would one draw near to God without believing that he exists? Don't you think so? Why would anyone pray when he doesn't believe that he exists? Why would anyone fast when he doesn't believe that he exists? Why would anyone see God and draw near to him without believing that he exists? What is the author speaking here? As I was reflecting, I believe that the author seems to indicate more than mere acknowledgement of God's existence. Hear this carefully. The author is not speaking about mere acknowledgement of God's existence. He seems to be speaking about quorum Deo, which is a Latin phrase for living in the presence of God, living before the face of God. Now, this is a point that I would like to tell you people. It is terribly possible to believe God exists and live as if he doesn't exist. It is terribly possible to believe in the existence of God and live as if he doesn't exist. Have you faced that situation? I have faced many times. When you fight together at home, will you do that if someone is there? If a guest is there, will you do that? No, because someone is there. How can I fight? So if you don't want to have fights at home, always have guests at your home. But you know, there is a greatest guest, the greatest father, the greatest maker of the heavens and the earth who is living there. When people watch porn, do they watch porn when somebody is there next to that person? Hey, I want to show you something, you know, that's very nice. And they open and, sh and show the porn or watch the porn. Anyone does it? They will see that if none is there and in secret, they indulge in it. Don't they believe in God? Yes. They say, you believe in God? Yes. But live as if he doesn't exist. People who are anxious, who are going through anxiety, that what would happen? Do they believe God exists? Yes. They believe. Do they believe God is loving and caring? Yes, they believe. But their anxiety shows that they live as if God doesn't exist at all. So are you understanding what I'm saying? The author of Hebrews is not speaking about parroting or mimicking or paying lip service to the existence of God. Yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in the existence of God. He's not speaking about mere acknowledgement. He's speaking about reverential consciousness of who God is. Reverential consciousness, sacred consciousness of who God is and live in the presence of that constant, continuous presence of God. That kind of faith he is speaking about. And I want to tell you that we can do something good as an empty ritual with no faith. Empty ritual. Just because we have to break bread. Break bread. You have to sing. You sing. You have to read the Bible. You read. You do all these things as an empty meaningless ritual where you are not conscious of who God is, where you are not focused on pleasing God, where you are not confident that God will reward you for what you do. 
And we can even have a great reputation that we are very good in attending church, very good in your personal devotions, very good in evangelism, very good in doing all these things with no faith in God. Although all the world may be pleased and applaud for what you are doing. But God is grieved because it is an empty ritual with no faith in him. Dear brothers and sisters, let me tell you, beware of the danger of doing Christian activities without faith. We can even sing with no reverential consciousness of who God is. The lips may be moving, the hands may be up, but the heart is somewhere. Is it not possible? When all people are praying, the lips may be moving and emotions also may be excited, but heart is not there. It seems as if you have never experienced, but I have experienced many, many times where I am lost. Lips moving, hands moving, everything moving, but heart is not there. No faith in God. Brothers and sisters, faith calls to focus on God. Faith calls to please Him. Faith calls to believe that He earnestly rewards those who seek Him. We see here another important aspect of the character of God that God is not looking for meaningless Christian services and activities. He's not looking for them. He's looking for services that comes out of reverence and faith. Such are the activities that God is pleased with. I love what A.W. Pink says. A very solid Bible teacher. He says that all obedience, service and worship must proceed from faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. Where this be lacking, where faith is lacking, hear this. Please allow the spirit of God to really grip our hearts as we hear these words. And let him expose our hearts as we look into these words. Without faith, no matter how exact the performance of our duty, how professional your duty may be, it is unacceptable to God. So it is good that we focus on our activities. Many of us just ask, right, the question, have you read the Bible? Have you prayed? Are you nice at home? Are you attending church meetings? Who, how many of us ask, hey, have you prayed by faith? <laughs> have you prayed, have you studied the Bible by faith? Are you attending church meetings by faith? Not because someone may ask you, hey, why are you not coming to church meetings? Or are you coming because you believe in God? What is the reason and the basis of it? The second thing that we can learn from this, the first factor is faith gives meaning to our services. That's why I say that. Without faith, all our Christian activities will go in vain and the judgment day will reveal one day. Before that day comes, let us rectify what we are doing here. The second factor that we see is that faith declares you righteous. Faith counts you righteous. And we see that in Hebrews 11.4. Shall we all read this together? By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. Observe the phrase there, through which he was commended as righteous. NIV translates, by faith he was commended as as righteous. It is faith that counted him righteous. The word commendation is very important in this chapter. And the Greek meaning, literally the meaning of, if you see that two times the word commended is referred. We see commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his sacrifice. Commending, commended. The literal meaning of this is, when God commends it means to obtain attestation to character. Or to witness, to bore witness to someone. So God himself is witnessing. He's telling that I am a person, the most high God, giving this attestation to, Cain, to Abel. And I'm testifying about Abel that he is righteous. 
not because of his life primarily it is because of his faith and how do we know the evidence that god really commended him as righteous we see immediately it is supported by the phrase god commending him by accepting his gifts he accepted and by accepting he commended that you have faith and i am commending you now the bible clearly doesn't say here how god accepted what was the evidence that god really accepted the gifts it might be as many people believe that god sent fire from heaven and consumed the gifts that is obviously throughout the old testament the fire came consumed and that was the evidence that god accepted and that is just an assumption and it may be true stephen cole bible expositor makes a good observation here in saying that it would be a huge mistake to conclude that god accepted abel's sacrifice on the basis of his righteous life or because he was righteous god accepted him not that he rejected cain's sacrifice because of his evil life for one thing our text indicates that abel offered his sacrifice by faith not on the basis of his righteous life it doesn't say by righteousness cain or uh, abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than cain it says that by faith it is faith that justified him not works now that is a grand doctrine throughout the holy bible justification by faith when we think about the old testament who is the man you think about who was justified by faith our mind immediately goes to abraham not knowing that much before abraham there is another man who was commended as righteous because of his faith and that was abel not just abraham what does it mean righteous the meaning of righteous is that god accepts you to stand before him in right standing you have a right standing before god which means you are accepted by god you are pleased by god god is glorified through you and that is what it is to stand as righteous so what we understand from this is that even in the old testament justification was by faith not by law and that is the argument paul is using to convince his jewish friends that justification doesn't come by your obedience by your moral performance by your practice of the law it comes by faith and he points the direction in romans chapter 4 verse 3 it is good for us to dwell on this and again come back in order for us to understand justification by faith in romans chapter 4 verse 3 paul writes here for what does the scripture say abraham believed god and it was counted to him as righteousness now to the one who works his wages are not counted as a gift but as is due <clears throat> and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly his faith is counted as righteousness what he says here is that it is not based on your moral performance that you are justified it is because of your faith and abraham if you look at his life he was not a super holy person he was a man of weakness man of cowardice man who lied man who didn't believe in god that he will protect him when he is in the strange land but his faith was also stronger at the same time and this is what paul writes and persuades his audience to believe that justification comes by faith in romans 4:20 he says no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of god when god promised to abraham that i will make you the father of many nations and i will bless your offspring he believed god nothing wavered him and i love the phrase here but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to god people this is what we should aim at living a christian life we only think about growing more in spiritual life right We only think about growing more in disciplines, right? Do we ever think about I should grow stronger in faith? I should become mightier in faith? Do you remember that one of the questions disciples asked Jesus is not only how to pray but also how to grow in faith? The modern disciples have lost 
that earnestness and earnest prayer and fervent seeking of the Lord to build their faith stronger in Him. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, you cannot grow in spiritual disciplines. You cannot grow in your spiritual life. You cannot go nowhere. If you and I are not growing in faith. Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced. This is what faith is, people. What is faith? Fully convinced. No doubt. That God was able to do what he has promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Not his righteous life. But the words it, it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Now here is the good news. It is not written for Abel alone. It is not written for Abraham alone. But for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What is it saying? Not only Abel who was justified by faith, not only Abraham who was justified by faith, but you and I have the privilege of being justified by faith and not by works. This is where Christianity is polar opposite to all the religions of the world. Which says that you need to do something to become something. But the Bible says you cannot do anything to become something. You need to repent of your sins and believe in the one who died for you and raised for you. It is through faith in the work of Christ on the cross that you gain your right standing before God. You are justified by faith alone and not by your works and every time you fail in your works, you know what raises, raises, raises you? Every time you fail in your moral performance, you know what uplifts you? It is your faith in God that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. And that we can boldly face God and stand right before him based on the work of Christ on the cross. But I want to say also that although we are justified by faith and not by works, you know one thing? Those who are justified by faith give the best of their works to God. Hear this carefully. Although we are justified by faith and not by works, those who are justified by faith give the best of their works. And that is what we see the author of, uh, of course, James was arguing that faith without works is dead. And works without faith is dead also. First, your faith in God that drives you to give the best of your works. And that is what Abel did. Because Abel had faith in God, he gave the best of his sacrifice. Now, in my study of these words... I think I can argue reasonably one thing why God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's. Observe carefully. You need to be a smart, keen, acute observer of these words in order to get my point. Observe this in Genesis 4.3. Okay? In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Observe it says just an offering of the fruit of the ground. An offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the, it doesn't say, an offering of his flock. A sacrifice of his flock. It says, the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. It says that, he gave the best to the Lord because he had great faith in God. Does it say that Cain brought the first fruits of the harvest? It doesn't say. Maybe he brought just a portion of the latter in the harvest. If you see Proverbs 3.9, it says that honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all you, 
it says the first fruit of all you produce the best the first best of all you produce give it to the lord and it is the first thing that we see abel did and we don't observe the author and i believe intentionally he missed it because he didn't bring the first fruits of his produce maybe he felt insecure why should i give the first fruit to the lord and what would happen to me i've seen that especially uh, just giving an example okay it may apply to everything when they have loans and when they have debts people don't give offering at all just as there is tithe cutting there is their offering cutting you know why because if i give what would happen to the rest they don't want to give the best to the lord they don't say that okay whatever it is and I, this is my commitment actually in all my christian living i never think i don't think about the commitment i made to give it to the lord that i decided to give in spite of my financial crisis i believed that god is able to honor it and i am telling you brothers and sisters in all my more than 25 years of christian life how the lord honored my giving unto him and he blessed it and he multiplied it and he prospered me by his grace and mercy when i say prosper it doesn't mean that i have a bungalow you know my car which i am using for more than 10 years i'm not telling you'll get bmw rolls royce all those funny fan, uh, fantasy that we see today the people are promising i'm not talking about that that your needs are abundantly met by the lord if you have greater faith you will give the best of your time the best of your money the best of your energy the best of your life for the glory of god so justification by faith doesn't make you cheap christian or oh, just faith 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 you have no works but the works that come they emerge out of your greater faith in the lord jesus christ and the third and the final factor that we see the first is faith gives meaning to your service and second is faith declares you righteous and the third is hear this carefully and i love this faith makes your life memorable will you all repeat this faith makes my life memorable what is memorable your life is worth remembering for your life is worth memorable we see here in hebrews 11:4 shall we all read this together by faith abel offered to god a more acceptable sacrifice than cain through which he was commended as righteous god commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith though he died he still speaks through his faith though he died he still speaks how did abel die we all know that genesis 4 8 says that cain spoke to abel his brother and when they were in their field cain rose up against his brother abel and killed him yesterday i was talking to our interns and uh, i was making a statement that cain killed abel because he could not kill god <laughs> what did abel do he didn't do anything against him just god accepted him and not him and this guy was very angry and he killed abel because god accepted him if god accepted him why is he angry against him that's very unreasonable it is something like you know if a dog bites and you go and kick the cat that is what we see here but one thing we need to understand people when you don't have faith and when you live a life that has no great dependence on god you know that you could not do anything but you start hurting people it may be your wife it may be your sons or daughters or the church or anyone that is highly possible when you are frustrated with your life don't you think so many of us have done that maybe not you maybe i am the only person who does it often john 1 john chapter 3 verse 12 here is a warning it gives us here the warning again we see here cain mentioned we should not be like cain who was of the evil one who belonged to the devil and murdered his brother and why did he murder him because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous 
His own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. He could not bear that his brother was accepted and he was rejected. Instead of he changing his life, he destroyed his own brother. But was he religious? Was Cain religious? Did he offer sacrifice? Yes, he offered sacrifice. He was religious, but what was he not? He was religious, but he was not obedient. Brothers and sisters, this is what we need to understand. That we can be very religious in Christian life and be outright rebel and disobedient against the word of God. And that's the dangerous thing to live as a Christian. I remember once a husband sharing with me, my wife rises three o'clock in the morning to read the Bible and pray. My wife gives 30% of her offering. My wife is so devoted to the ministry. But she is like Lucifer at home. Everyone who thinks about her in our circle knows that she is a child of the devil. That's how our life is. You can be very religious and fight with your husband. You can be very religious and be unloving in your house. And your house speaks about it. You may be very active. Honestly, outside you may be thinking, Oh, I'm doing this, doing this. And people, I don't know how to convince. And I, would, I wish I would penetrate into the eyes and the hearts of the people and open them. Do you know how wretched you are in your Christian living? Although you are good in your Christian activities. You know how much shame is brought to Christian faith? So many people say that. This person is very religious. Everything does well. In the house, demonic. In the church, unloving. In the workplace, corrupted. But when it comes to all other activities of the Christian life, superb. You can give 10 out of 10. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, don't run with the devil in living a religious life. God is more interested in your heart. Do you remember what God said to Saul through Samuel? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Submitting to your husband is better than you just coming in the church and praising God with empty hearts. Loving your wives is better than you going and doing evangelism. Loving and serving the church, giving your life to be a blessing to the body of Christ is better than merely attending church services. All our Christian activities should flow out of an obedient heart. If it is flowing out of an empty heart, they are demonic in the sight of God. Because devil is also very religious, but they are not obedient. And James says, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? Even demons believe it. Hallelujah. <laughs> you believe God, demons believe in God, and both are demonic. But what is the difference? There are no works in the devil. No obedience. Brothers and sisters, do we reflect more of the devil or more of Christ in our lives? Now the question also comes here is that, will the righteous suffer? Did you ever think about it? I am so punctual. I am so committed in my workplace. Why am I suffering? Maybe I think I should not live a righteous life. I am so devoted to the church. Who is recognizing me? You may be thinking that if I live a righteous life, everything, go, everything goes well with you. Did it go well with Abel? Was he having faith in God? Yes. Was he righteous in the sight of God? Yes. And because of that, he became the king of the first generation, right? What happened to him? He was brutally killed, not by his neighbor, but by his own brother. What a sad story it is. What do we learn from this? You may suffer when you have faith in God. I think it is wrong for me to say you may suffer. You will suffer <laughs> If you have greater faith in God, you will suffer 
if you live a righteous life if you are righteous in your workplace you will suffer if you are godly at your home you will suffer if you are living a practical life in the church you will suffer and the lord jesus said that in matthew 5:10 blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and the author of hebrews is pointing to abel i think you know abel was killed because of his righteousness and faith and you also may suffer persecution because of your faith but persevere persevere god will reward you and again the question that comes to us is i keep going off and again keep coming back but i'll be in the boundaries he says here that and through his faith though he died he still speaks shall we read this again though he through his faith though he died he still speaks it is not he speaks just like that even after he is dead no one speaks after they die if you live an empty meaningless fruitless christian life how did he speak how can a dead man speak how can a dead man speak through the legacy of his life through the legacy of his life and i want to tell you something very important here brothers and sisters some live and speak even after they die some live and speak even after they die but many have already died while they are still alive are you one among them your life is so boring empty meaningless fruitless that you are already dead somebody should bury you as soon as possible <laughs> or are you living in such a way that even after you die when someone thinks about susan when someone thinks about sai when someone thinks about sam and someone thinks about yugandar wow what a life he lived what a man he was what a woman she was is your life and my life like that or are you living in a way someone is wishing when this film will this person die because he's already dead <laughs> only waiting to be buried i think about david brennan how many of you heard about david brennan many of you heard right and you know about him you know how at what age he died he died at the age of 29 many of us here have lived more than him david brennan was born in 1718 he had nine siblings and they were all orphaned when david was 14 no father no mother at the prime of his teenage he entered yale university where he was converted to faith in christ praise god but brainard was so excited so enthusiastic about the lord that he made a critical comment about his tutor and the tutor got so angry that he took it to the board and they fired him at the prime of his education and he started to get back and he tried everything possible to get back to the university but he never got the opportunity and he felt so discouraged and depressed and after that you know what he did anyway i can't get back so one thing i will do he went into the woods and began sharing christ with native americans in the northeast he started to preach the gospel and if you read his biography it is at a cheap price on amazon and uh, you can just look at the words that he read and and he, you see that you can see yourself there the weakness the failure the agony the outpouring of his soul before the lord and how the lord has honored him he battled with intense loneliness and terrible depression he contracted tuberculosis he became so ill so ill that he had to give up his work only about 3 years he started with his ministry at the prime maybe at 26 years old he gave up because he, he he was so sick and then you know jonathan edwards took him in his home and he cared for him and they loved him and cared for him and he suffered terribly and died an excruciating painful death at the age of 29 young age 29 just 3 years of ministry 
At his glance, we should think that his life is a failure. He was an orphan at the age of 14. And then we see that he was thrown out of college, no good career. And he suffered from sickness most of his life. And then we also see that he was dead at the prime of his age, at the age of 29. And in his ministry, only few people, handful of people came to the Lord. So when we see that his human life, we think that he is a failure. But listen to this, what God had done. One thing Jonathan Edwards had done is that after he was dead, he took his journal in which he poured out his soul and he published it as a book. And you know, the Lord has blessed it so much. It became the best-selling religious book in the century and it has never been out of print even till today. In England, John Wesley published a special edition for his readers. And if you think about missionaries like Hudson Taylor, David Livingston, Thomas Cook, Francis Asbury and Henry Martin, you can hardly read a biography of that century and later of any of the great missionaries of this who are not impacted by Brenard's life. Brenard's biography had a great impact on William Carey who came as a missionary to India, who was a shoemaker and God burdened him and spoke to him even through the life of David Brennard and he came here and what a legacy he left in the nation of India, the way he served. And in the 20th century, Brennard's life had a tremendous impact on one of the great recent martyrs, Jim Elliot, who died at a very prime young age by Auka Indians, and that person also, before he went there, he read David Brennard's biography and it was autobiography and so blessed and enriched in his aunt. And I told you, right, he was kicked out of Yale University while at a very young age. You know what happened later? Yale University, which expelled Brennard for his spiritual zeal, later named a building, which exists even today, named after him. David Brennard. A young man who died but lived a life of legacy. In all his sickness, in all his loneliness, in all his depression, the thing that he did was he drew near to God knowing that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And what a legacy he left that today we still speak about him. Is there someone who thinks about you when you died and get inspired or will they think I wish I would never live a life pathetic vain life like him brothers and sisters please do think about this I would like to close with what John MacArthur said he said that I would like to close with this beautiful in able sacrifice the way of the cross was first prefigured okay how the first sacrifice was Abel's lamb. One lamb and for one person. Later came the Passover. One lamb for one family. And then came the day of atonement. One lamb for one nation. And finally the Good Friday. One lamb for the whole world. Shall we all stand together and pray? If there are any unbelievers here, brothers and sisters, if there is any unbeliever here who never repented and believed in Christ, lived a religious life, today I call upon you to repent of your sins and trust in Christ who loved you and gave his life for you because only he can save you and change you. And all those who believed in Christ, I encourage you today, do everything unto God with reverence and faith. Avoid meaningless services. Give your best to God for the best God did for you. And that is by sending his own son for our sins. Live a life that speaks even after you die. Do you hear this? Live a life in such a way that speaks even after you die. And such a life can only be lived when you are rooted in the gospel and follow Christ with all your heart. Shall we all pray to the Lord? May we confess our sin. And pray to the Lord. 
Oh Lord, make my life fruitful. I don't want to waste my life at home, in the church, in the workplace, in the society. I want my life to speak now and much more when I die. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God of encouragement. You are the God of correction. You are the God of exhortation. You are the God of comfort. We thank you for your son who died for us and you raised him from the dead because of whom we have right standing before you. And pray for those here if there is anyone who is living in unbelief. They may not be destroyed by their unbelief. But repent of their sins and believe in the one who loved them and gave his life for them. Pray for the salvation of their soul and the transformation of their hearts. And all those who believe, dear Heavenly Father, may we not live a life of vanity and meaningless, ritualistic, customary life. But may our life be meaningful, fruitful, active, mighty for the glory of the living God. Oh Lord, you're pleased to help us not to live a life of mediocrity, average, dead, passive life. Waste is that life even if it believes in you. For genuine faith will produce the best life possible. And pray, Lord, that you're pleased to have mercy on Ecclesia, evangelical fellowship, and remember every child of yours that you redeemed by the blood of Christ and pray that you stir up their hearts and stimulate their faith and maybe grow stronger in our faith, in our anxiety, in our temptations, in our depression, in our loneliness, in all that we face, Arts, we pray that our faith would grow stronger and mightier and live a life of legacy that speaks even after we die. Lord, life is short and we can't afford to waste it. The time that passed away will never return. The age that has gone will never return. As long as we live now, may we live the best for your glory, honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com. I repeat www. M-E-S-S-A-G-E-F-O-R-O-U-R-A-G-E dot B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T dot com. You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail dot com. I repeat, c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at g-m-a-i-l dot c-o-m. Grace and peace be to you.